What a great expression that was. You may overcome through Christ. Lots of things in life are thrown at us, and sometimes it's hard to deal with them at the moment, but through faith in Jesus Christ, that makes all the difference. A good man on a bad day. That's how one writer began an article in the book of Job. A good man on a bad day. And oftentimes we stand in that same shadow. We have bad days. The day doesn't end like it started. And the day doesn't work out like we planned. A good man on a bad day. That could be our story. We're going to spend the next three Sunday evenings talking about the book of Job. When we think about Job, the first thing that comes to our mind is pain. Job hurt. But we want to look at several aspects of this as we go through this. So if you've got your Bibles this evening, we encourage you to turn with us to the book of Job. And we're going to be reading in the first few chapters about that as we talk about some different aspects. We're going to talk about life lessons from Job's pain. Life lessons from Job's friends. And life lessons from Job's God. And i got to be honest, there's a, there's a reason for doing this. I'm using you all as guinea pigs. I've got to preach next month in Texas, and we have to do some day lessons. And for years and years, I've got this series on the life of Jesus. I've done this everywhere. And I'm just kind of tired of it. And I need something fresh. So you're my guinea pigs as I work through this, as we think about some life lessons. Lessons I think will help all of us. Lessons that will help us as we think about some things. Now when we think about Job, the immediate thing that comes to our minds is a man who suffered. And the common thought is this book is about suffering. But if that be the case, it fails. Because Job is never told why he suffers. We know why, but he's never told that. Job is never told what to do when you suffer. We know what to do. The Bible's full of examples about that. Job isn't told that. Job seems to be alone on his journey. As we'll see in coming lessons, his wife seems to be uh, deserting him in the sense of being with him and supportive. His friends become worthless to him. God seems to be silent. So it seems like he's on this journey all by himself. And so if the book of Job is a discourse about suffering, it's a colossal failure. It doesn't help us. And it leaves us with more questions than it does answers. And so as we begin this evening, I want us to appreciate that the book of Job really is not about suffering, but faith. And I believe that's the premise of this book. In chapter 1 and in verse 9, as As the devil speaks here, he says, does Job fear God for nothing? The ESV puts it this way, does Job fear God for no reason? Why does Job follow God? Why does Job love God? What's the reason why Job does all these things? Is it because of all the good things God has done for him? What if God had never blessed Job? What if Job could not sing, God is so good to me? Would he still follow him? In fact, if you look in chapter 1 of Job, look at the very next verse, verse 10, as Satan continues to speak, he says, Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, God, you have bought his faith. 
The reason why he loves you is because you bless him. The reason why you like him is because he has such a good life. Take away all that stuff, and he's not going to like you. And even before we get any deeper in the lesson, we've got to ask ourselves the same reason. Would I be here on a Sunday night if my life was falling apart? Would I be here on a Sunday morning if I look at my life and I say, you know what? I got problems here. Things are not working out here. Things are a disaster here. I say my prayers. I'm not sure if God hears them or not. Things don't look good in my life. Is God worthy to be worshipped because of who he is? And that's what the book of Job is really about. And so what God does is he uses suffering as the main ingredient for all these things. And so that's what we're going to be kind of looking at. So tonight's focus is upon the first two chapters. And we're going to look at the suffering of Job and some things he learned from that. If we think about the book itself, the book of Job, in our English Bibles, it begins a section we call the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. There's a lot of things in this book that makes us think it was written during the days of Genesis, the patriarchal period, very early in our Bibles. God is talking directly to Job, unlike we would think about during the times of Moses. There's no reference to Abraham, the law, tabernacle, temple, prophets, or the Messiah. There's, there's no miracles in the book of Job. Jesus never quotes the book of Job. The apostles never refer to the book of Job. There's only two other places outside of Job his name's even mentioned. He's mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 14 along with Noah and Daniel as people of righteousness. And then James chapter 5 verse 11 refers to him as one who has endured an example of God's compassion. Nothing there said about his suffering. Now what's interesting about the book of Job... It stands apart from all other books of the Bible because of this long, long section of conversations. Most of the book is about Job and his friends and their conversations. 33 chapters, 12,000 words of the most inspired, uninspired language in our Bible. God records his conversation between uninspired men and he wants us to learn some lessons about that. It's remarkable that we see this. As we begin to think about Job the man, Job is described as one of the best. For instance, we look in this spiritually in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Just a little bit later in verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth. You get that? Spiritually, God said, He's number one in my trophy case. There is no one like Job. No one as spiritual, as blameless, as upright, as God-fearing. And then we think about this materially. This also is the case. In chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, seven sons, three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was the greatest, spiritually, materially. Job stands out for these great things as we see this. Let's look in chapter 1 now. 
of this book. Let's read verse 7, verse 8. We're going to be picking out different verses as we go through this. But in chapter 1 and verse 7 and verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, I want you to see this. God is bringing this up. Not the devil. God is bringing this up. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I want you to see that. There wasn't a divine hat and a whole bunch of names were put in that hat. And, and the devil just reached in and pulled out a name. I happen to call Job. God was the one who brought him up. God was the one who said his name. Satan, of all these people, have you looked at Job? And I believe he did that for a reason. I believe God understood how strong his servant Job was. In chapter 2, if you will, and notice verse 3. Once again, we'll come back to this in just a moment. But it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity. He says that after what happens, we'll read in a moment at the end of chapter, chapter 1, when complete disaster happens to his life, God says he is still faithful. I believe God brought him up on purpose. Throw your fastball right down the middle. You're not going to get him. Give me the best shot you got. My man Job is going to stand faithful to these things. And so we begin in chapter 13. It's going to be chapter 1, verse 13. And we notice these things that begin to happen. And what God does, he allows Satan to take down the hedge. The thought of Satan is the only reason why Job follows you, loves you, is upright, is because you've got a wall around him. You've got a hedge around him. You've got protection around him. And the Lord says, going to allow Satan to remove that hedge, and then we will see if he's faithful. Read with me, begin verse 13. Now, on that day, when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job. And said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Immediately what we see is there's theft, we see there's murder, we see there's crime. But now we go to verse 16. While he was still speaking, the first guy's not done with the story. Here comes more bad news. Another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. There's been more death. There's been more disaster. Now we get to verse 17. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. More theft, more murder, more disaster. Verse 18, while he was still speaking. About this point, I, I would think nobody talking anymore. Every time somebody opens their mouth, it's bad news. 
Bad news, verse 18. Another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind from across the wilderness struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. Satan hit him financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, personally, physically, and mentally. And some quick lessons we see from this. Number one, what we need to see is we don't know all that goes on. And we'll bring this up in just a moment. He does not know about the conversation between God and Satan. He doesn't know that all this is a test to see how strong his faith is. Lots of times things go on in our life and we do not know what happens. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, that little minor prophet book, he was concerned about the injustice in the land and why doesn't God do something? And verse 5, he says, you would behold, you would not believe if I even told you. God was doing things. And sometimes we are not aware of what's going on. Secondly, we understand and, and learn from here that Satan is powerful. Satan is harmful. And Satan is destructive. There's never a good thing the Bible says about the devil. We need to see that he is the number one enemy of the righteous of God. Another lesson we learn is that life is fragile. How quickly do we see in, in, as the day began on verse 13, event after event after event, servants killed, family killed, all his livestock is gone. He was completely turned inside out. And what we see is how the continual nature, trouble doesn't come one at a time. Trouble can come in many forms and in many fashions. And as we begin the lesson, bad things do happen to good people. Oftentimes we would look at this and say, well, maybe I should have been going to church more. Maybe, maybe God's punishing me. Maybe something's not right in my life. But what we see already from Job chapter 1 is things could not have been better in Job's life. God is bragging on him. You are upright. You're God-fearing. You're blameless. And still those things happen. Chapter 2 now. We don't know how much time passes between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But begin at verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still hold fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. In other words, you've taken away his animals. You've taken away his house. You take away his, his occupation, you take away his finances, you've killed his family, but Job's still there. Touch his life and see what happens. And so it continues on here in chapter 2, where it says in verse 5, However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Understand by that statement, Satan does not have the ultimate power. God limits Satan. We remember in the book of Luke chapter 22 where Satan came to Jesus and sought permission to sift Peter like wheat. Satan cannot do whatever he wants to. He's limited by God. So God is saying, you can do anything you want. You just cannot kill him. And so the next verse, 
Then Satan, verse 7, went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with swords, with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a pot shared to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And what we see here is Job hurt. Likely he was scared. He's alone. He's a loss. And right here we think about that hymn, Does Jesus Care? Now there are a variety of reasons, and I won't go through all of these. Every one of these could be a sermon. But there are a variety of reasons why we suffer in life. Sometimes we suffer because of sin or someone else's sin. Sometimes it's the foolish and bad choices we make. Sometimes it's necessary to bring about death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the point man wants to die. That has to happen somehow. Time and chance, Ecclesiastes tells us, happens to all people. Sometimes it's punishment. Sometimes, as Job is experiencing, it's the trials of faith. Sometimes it's discipline of God, as Hebrews 12 says. Sometimes it's persecution, opposition to our faith, or Satan. But most times, we don't know. We're going through something, and we went put in one of these categories. Which slot does this fit in today? I've been walking out here, and it's raining on me. I had a flat tire. All these things are happening to me. Now, which category? We don't know. And oftentimes, we never know. But what God wants us to do is not look backwards and find the cause, but to deal with it as God wants us to. And much, much, much too often, we blame God for things that God didn't do. We often say, why? Why God? Maybe a greater question to ask would be, why not? Why not me, as we look at this? And I believe one of the greatest aspects of Job's suffering came about mentally. It's one thing to have hurt bones. It's one thing to have hurt skin, have boils. But, but the, the mental process Oftentimes, the body heals faster than the mind does and the emotion does. And we see this expressed in a couple ways. In chapter 13 of Job, why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? I'm praying to you, God. I'm talking to you, but I get silence. In chapter 14, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. The writer M. Scott Peck wrote a book called The Road Less Travel. His first sentence was, life is difficult. And so it is. And what we find here is this is the same thought found throughout the book of Psalms. We find, for instance, in Psalms 13, how long, O Lord, wilt thou forget me forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? We again look in Psalms 39, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give, give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like my father's. Again, we go to chapter 42, my tears have been my food day and night. I'm crying, I'm crying, and I'm crying. While they say to me, my tears is what he's saying, all day long, where is your God? And then, chapter 44, why does they hide thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Now, this leads to the idea of being alone spiritually. Spiritual loneliness is a huge problem. And the characteristics of this, number one, is your prayers do not seem to be answered. I pray to God, but it doesn't seem like he hears me. And, and, and you can feel like I'm all alone. Even in a crowd, you can feel like you're all alone. Worship sometimes feels empty. We go through the motions, but something's not there. We see the idea of feeling overwhelmed. 
The problems seem greater than I am. The idea of feeling like no one cares, even God sometimes. And the idea that there are so many questions, but so few answers. And again, as we think about what Job experienced, how essential that is. Back to chapter 1, if you will. Let's read now the end of this chapter. And I want you to notice four things how this chapter ends. Chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And again, just some quick points we see here is that he worshipped God. He worshipped God when his life was a mess. He worshipped God after he'd been to the cemetery and there's ten brand new graves that has his children's name on there. He worshipped God when he probably thought, how in the world am I going to get any food tomorrow because I have nothing. All my animals are gone. All my servants are killed. How am I going to survive? Job worshipped. Verse 21, he blessed God. Again, that makes us think of Acts 16 and the Apostle Paul being in the jail in Philippi and how he's preaching, you know, he'd been preaching, he'd been arrested, and at midnight they're singing praises to God. Verse 22 tells us that Job did not sin and Job did not blame God. Now understand, God never tells Job about Satan. When we read chapter 1, chapter 2, we know more about the story than Job did. God never promises Job things are going to get better. Hold on, get through this, it will get better. He's never told that. God does not give Job a pass on what is expected. Job, you're going through some hardship right now, so we understand if you don't want to go to church for the next two months, because you're going through some hard stuff. God never gives him a pass. Now understand, Job doesn't have a fellowship like you do. What a great lesson this morning about fellowship, family, praying for one another, being there for one another. As we go through this series here, you're going to find out that Job was alone. Job does not have the New Testament as you have the New Testament. Job does not have a resurrected Savior as you'd have a resurrected Savior. Job does not have the book of Revelation that tells us the outcome of Satan as you have the book of Revelation. Job does not even have the book of Job as you have the book of Job. And so all those things remind us that when we read this book, you and I begin at a better place than where Job was. When we hurt in our mind and in our soul, there's some principles we need to understand. Number one, the pain doesn't go away quickly. We go to someone's funeral. We take off a morning. We go to a funeral. We give somebody some hugs. We go back to work that afternoon. The next day, life goes on for us. For the person who had the funeral, life has stopped. Life has changed. The pain does not go away quickly. It isn't resolved by simply being in a crowd. The spiritual loneliness that somebody feels, well, well you need to be around people, and the people help, but that alone does not take care of it. It can take us places that you do not want to go. And this is exactly where Satan wanted him to go. Satan wanted him to go to denying God. Job's wife, as we'll read about next week in chapter 2, verse 9, just gave Job the advice, curse God and die. Just give up. 
That's where spiritual loneliness, that's where spiritual pain, that's where mental anguish can take you. It can take you to saying things you shouldn't say, doing things you shouldn't do. It can be one of the greatest tests and trials of our faith. And it can remind us that there are things that are greater than we are. We can't fix everything. We don't have the answer for everything. We don't know everything. And there are some wise, or excuse me, it reveals that we cannot fix everything, and then there are some whys that we may never know. Why did this happen? We don't know. And so as we wrap this up, there's a takeaway from Job. Job's pain teaches us something. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4 in the New Testament. We're going to come back here to Job in a minute. But Mark chapter 4. Remember this as being the setting when Jesus is asleep in the boat. Disciples wake him up in the midst of a storm, the very severe storm. They think they're going to die. They awaken Jesus, and he calms the storm. And then in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? The takeaway from here is faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. I want you to understand, Job's faith did not begin in chapter 1 when he had the pain. The faith was there before the pain. He was blameless. He was upright. He was fearing God. He was turned away from evil. That's how God saw him. Those things don't come overnight. They don't come from just sitting in the church building once in a while. They come from deep within us. They come from knowing all the details and understanding God. We conclude that Job was honest in business. How do we know that? God calls him blameless. God calls him upright. A cheat is not like that. Job was one who walked a long, long time with the Lord. He knew the Lord. So God was not throwing Job to the dogs. God was not sacrificing Job. God must have thought that Job is strong enough. His faith can handle the devil. Satan hit him hard. He did about everything possible except take his life. He was stepped on. He was crushed. He was flattened. Satan must have thought there is no way his faith can survive what I'm going to do. Like an old prize fighter, punch after punch, battered, bloodied, beaten, yet Job would not go down. In the book of 1 Peter, if you turn there with me, Peter brings up the suffering of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and begin verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The suffering of Jesus is our example. So what we learn about Job's faith, number one, the God we believe in was there before the storm, during the storm, and after the storm. God hadn't changed. The God that we sang to tonight will be the same God that takes you through that storm and that God that will be with you after the storm. God doesn't change. Secondly, God will be with you in the midst of the storm. 
Psalms 23 and verse 4 says, Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Again, that great understanding that God is with us. We also appreciate that God hears you even though he doesn't answer right away. God may not answer right away. That's where Job's at. We're going to go through 33 chapters where God says nothing to the very end of the book. And then when we get to that section, it's going to be nothing but questions. And again, God still hears you. God knows through the storms our character is forged and hope shines the brightest. That's what we see here about Job. Satan thought you bought him off. Satan thought, take away all the nice things in his life. Let's not have sunny, sunny days on Sunday. Let's not have good things going on in our life. Let's just have disaster after disaster after disaster and then see how many people show up on church on Sunday. God said, they'll come. They'll come because of me. They come because they believe in me. And that's where Job is. And that's where we need to be. We also understand and appreciate that God sends help in ways we do not expect. Sometimes we think God will just stop all these bands robbing Job. And God will just restore his health immediately. God sends help. But oftentimes it's not the way that we expect. And then we see that God still loves us. He has always loved us. And always will love us. And God's promises remain true. If you've got your Bible now, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Jason and I historically end our sermons, we always say, stand and sing. Notice how Jesus ended the sermon. There was no standing, there was no singing. But he told a story. He says in verse 24 of Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. That rock is Jesus. That rock is faith. And so Job was hit, and hit very hard, but he was able to stand. It's a little poem I've loved for the years. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but she left me none the better for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And so one of the first things we learn in our little series here on the book of Job is that storms will either make you better or they're going to make you bitter. And that's our choice what we're going to do. Will we continue to be the people before the storms that God wants us to be? Will we continue to be the people through the storm that God wants us to be? Will we continue to be the people God wants us to be after the storm? Our choice. Some make wise choices, some don't. But that's the concept. And so that's lesson one. Lessons from Job's pain. And there's a lot of folks in this building through the years have had a lot of pain. There's been funerals. There's been heartache, there's been disaster, there's been trouble. But what we see from lessons like this is how God wants us to be. Some people will hang their hat on that pain for the rest of their life. 
And they'll stop living because of that pain. And they won't continue on being what God wants them to be because their hat is hanging on that nail. We're going to see how God wants us to be. Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about Job's friends. We're going to cover all those chapters real carefully here. And we're going to look at what friends do when a friend hurts and learn from that. And so that's our thoughts for this evening. I hope it gives you something to think about. I hope it touches your hearts in some way. This evening, as we conclude this lesson, we need to see that, where am I with this? I wonder, and I can't put an answer to this, I wonder if God and the devil still have conversations. I don't know. I wonder if God would say, have you thought about Roger? I don't wonder if the devil would say, no, I've already got him. He's no problem. Or would God say, consider one of these, blameless, upright, God-fearing. Will God say that about us? And will God say that to us after we've been smacked hard? Will God say that about us after everyone else will say, well, you have every reason no longer to worship. You have every reason to be on pills or alcohol. You have every reason to be angry. You have every reason to quit praying because look at what's happened in your life. But to see someone like Job, who worshiped, who never sinned in that regard, who never blamed God, sure is something to think about, isn't it? And so this evening, if you're not a Christian, isn't it time? It's time to realize that God never promises to put an umbrella above your head, and everything's going to be perfect in your life. God never promises that if you follow me, you're not going to have any issues. Oh, there's going to be issues. The question is, how am I going to handle it? Am I developing the character? Am I developing the heart like Jesus so that when the worst things happen to me, I become the best that I can be because of Jesus? Faith is the victory that makes all the difference. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?